Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 9, Episode 6, Confession. Mary, what happened this week? Sophie's car gets repossessed and she doesn't pay her bills. So she takes a job recommendation from a sketchy photographer from last week with a sketchy photographer from this week who wants her to take her top off. With the money she earns, she buys David a thanks-for-the-advice-I-didn't-take gift and accepts when he offers to get her a job at the Peach Pit. Unfortunately, she's the worst waitress Nat has ever seen since pre-Laverne Brenda. Fortunately, maybe, a customer gives her an undeserved $100 tip, his business card, dinner, an invite to Paris, and like half the stock at Kelly and Donna's store before David realizes she's leaving. And with one last kiss, I'm pretty sure we're saying goodbye to Laura Layton. Steve and Janet have no idea how they're going to keep the Beverly Beat going without Brandon writing 12 articles a week by himself, apparently. So they take a stroll down sensationalist tabloid lane and try to research an article about a haunted hotel kitchen where they bang about getting locked in a walk-in fridge. Val decides to throw an illegal rave at a house as a last hurrah before confessing to the police that she killed her father. Matt tries to change her mind, as does David, who resorts to calling her mother. Abby stops her daughter from going through with it, finally telling Valerie what happened wasn't her fault, giving her the apology and the forgiveness she deserves. Noah continues to drown his problems in alcohol, garnished with a little bit of ruining Donna's nights and reckless driving. Val's down to tag along until he nearly crashes head-on with another driver playing chicken. After getting too wasted at Val's party, Donna makes sure he gets home safely and begs him to take AA seriously. He does not do that. After Lenny is granted shared custody of his daughter Allison, Kelly researches how to commit a felony— Unfortunately, in addition to being abusive and full of rage, Lenny is also a stalker and is totally onto the fact that Kelly and Leah plan to steal Allison and run away. Well, not together. Kelly's trying to help Leah do that. I've realized I phrased that weird at the last second, but that would have been a better story. Unfortunately, acquiring fake identification is not as easy as it looks in the movies, but Mark fortunately knows a guy who does forgeries and also knows him a favor. Owes him, not knows him. Matt? Right? Is that the lawyer's name? Mm-hmm. Did I swear. Oh, God, I did. I did. I wrote Mark. Okay. I'm going to reread it. <laughs> no, I was about to have like a whole thing because I called him Mark so many times in my notes. Really? I was like, have I lost my mind to the point that I'm hearing the name Mark instead of Matt now? I feel like Matt is almost entirely here to age up the show like Mm. the idea that he is an independent person who has been through law school and a whole life before the gang and then Mm -hmm. shows up and is like oh yeah I know a guy who's a contractor and a plumber and a carpenter and a forger like yeah he just knows everybody he's right now he's there to fill a void right like Mm -hmm. whatever that void is each week he's like well, I know this guy who we never meet, never talk about, you know, all that. Or I know this thing because it's part of my convenient past. You know, it's like until he is established, which they're doing so pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. 
he's going to continue to just like fill these little holes. Like we've never had a lawyer on our side before. We need one. Oh, <laughs> you know, Noah gets in trouble all the time. Val gets in trouble all the time. David gets, you know, it's like all the gang gets in trouble one way or another. So it only makes sense for the gang to finally have a lawyer. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I know we eventually get to it, but he is a regular now. Like if you look yeah. at the new credits that show. Oh, yeah, we will talk about all of that. But to go back to what Mary said at the beginning of her synopsis, this is essentially the end of Sophie, but we got a lot of ways to go before we actually see that girl leave this place. Yeah, and I'm still not convinced she's fully gone. Like, I am I feel like I'm going to have nightmares of her still returning. <laughs> I mean, legitimately, repeatedly, she tells David, like, I don't know when I'm coming back, and he's not turned off by her behavior in any way, shape, or form. So she could come back and he could just let her into his house. It's quite I, possible. I think I, yeah, and I think I said this, like, I don't know, maybe a few seasons ago, maybe last season, maybe I've said it every single season. But I feel like I'm starting to realize that the writers don't respect the boys at all because they constantly show how dumb they are when it comes to girls. Like, they're like, oh, the only thing that these guys are are good for or are dedicated to is – the lure of a woman, right? Like they'll constantly be seduced with mm -hmm. horrible characterizations. Like how many times has Steve been in a, you know, quick little relationship with a woman he shouldn't be? Now David, like the next will, and I mean, even think about back when Dylan was on the show and with Val, like, it, you know? <laughs> I just, as soon as you said, think about when Dylan was on the show and the first thing that popped in my head was the woman who owned the horse farm. Well, that too. <laughs> like, But it fits. It's like the only mm -hmm. thing they give the guys to do is this like early honeymoon ensorcel period in yeah. a relationship. And yeah. then outside of that, they're not really doing anything because like even in this first scene, it's really about Sophie. Like yeah. we find out that she got a modeling job, but it's – a print ad for a magazine and she got it through the skeevy photographers. So David is just like convinced it's sex work, convinced it's mm -hmm. skeezy. Like he's being really kind of holier than thou about a lot of stuff. He's like, you're too beautiful and smart and talented. And I mean, that's great. I love that he is so proud of her and confident in her abilities. Yeah. But it bothers me that she finally got a job and he's just like, no, absolutely not. You can't take that. That and it's like, how in in what way has he been shown her talent like the only talent that he knows is that she's good at conning people and good at lying so like how can he be proud of her and think that she's so talented that she deserves quote unquote more than whatever this is you know what i mean yeah i mean she couldn't even do her headshots he had to bribe mm -hmm. her with something to do her mm -hmm. headshots exactly I do love when Val comes over, though, in this scene because she comes over to talk to David and Sophie goes, nice to see you, too. And Val just says, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> Val has given up on any sort of pretenses with this group. And I don't know what that means for her because yeah. it's going to get bad before it gets better. But I yeah. loved that they set the tone with her just being like, yeah, whatever. I don't have time for you. It's just so funny how she is who she is always like she's never not I mean I know she lies and manipulates sometimes but like 
she's still her with everybody and she knows out of like you know 10 seconds of of meeting somebody if they're worth her time and she's like Sophie is definitely not worth my time (laughs) and I love that she wants to talk to David so much that like Mm -hmm. she doesn't even tell Sophie what's happening she's like oh by the way someone's in your car literally Mm -hmm. in it and it was by like a reason to get her to go away like (laughs) I know But yeah, it turns out that Sophie, not surprisingly, has not been paying her bills. So her car gets repossessed and like she is literally holding onto the door, begging this man to give Mm -hmm. her her car back. Yeah. And like we all knew that was going to happen, right? Like her student loan money like ran out. She presumably is like getting closer and closer to being kicked out of school. Like she clearly doesn't care. We know she has money problems, like all of this stuff. And so – David, like, sees all of this happening, and this basically is the straw that breaks the camel's back and forces her to go take that job. Mm-hmm. And then we also find out, as Mary said, that Lenny now has, like, unsupervised visitation with the baby. Mm-hmm. Like, he got so much more. And I do want to talk about Matt as a lawyer because I swear every time that they've told him – that Lenny is an abuser, that he cannot be trusted, that he's not a good guy. I swear there was one point where Matt was like, oh, maybe the best thing he deserves is supervised visitation, but he should get that. And then we jump to here where he's gotten him unsupervised visitation where he can just Mm -hmm. take the baby away. Like if Matt knows, I'm confused because I don't know the legal system enough. Law and Order Mm -hmm. 90210 has not taught me enough to know – if this makes sense for something that Matt would do of like well, even and, try to get him this. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, cause we know that to an extent Matt was like on Lenny's side in the sense that Matt or sorry, Lenny is a father and a mm-hmm. child should be with its parents. Right. In terms, in terms of the backstory that we were given for Matt. So yeah. I'm almost wondering if he almost did a little bit too good of a job and the judge like, sided with Matt to the point of saying unsupervised like maybe Matt was trying to at least get supervised but then he just made the right case and the judge just gave that ruling I don't know yeah I I mean that's fair like more more often than not the people on this show are excellent at their jobs they're choosing Mm -hmm. to live the way that they are because Mm -hmm. they can always come out on top so that's definitely possible I just As soon as they walked out of the courtroom and were talking about this unsupervised stuff and Leah can't leave the county, which, Mm -hmm. duh, you can't just take the baby. That's not how this works. It was interesting, though, that the the stipulation was that she couldn't leave. You would think that even if they made that ruling that she couldn't leave, you would also think that they would say he can't leave either. You know, because, like, who's more at risk of doing something reckless? I guess it has to do with Leah having, presumably, primary custody, and that's why she can't leave. Mm-hmm. Well, that's or, fine, and I'm cool with her having that, too. I would just think that he would have to have that stipulation, too. Yeah, I wonder if he has it, too, but they just didn't bother mentioning it because we're not supposed to care if Lenny gets something good or bad. Sure, that's fair. I guess. I don't know. We just This is just a setup to find out that Lenny got it and that Leah's upset and that Kelly mm-hmm. gets to be pissed at Matt and... You know, all of that. That is true. Yeah. But yeah, so then we go to our credits, our brand new credits 
six episodes into season nine. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, because they had to remind us, by the way, like, Jason Priestley is gone. So now you see Jenny Garth is the first build. And mm-hmm. we already knew that Janet was uh, Lindsay Price is a regular. But now we also see that Daniel Cosgrove, a.k.a. Matt, is also a regular. Mm. We also find out after the intro that Brian Austin Green is a producer now. Which I believe, like, him and Jason Priestley is still a producer. They are the only two on the show that are producers. Yeah. Actors on the show, I should say. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so I was going to tell y'all, and I think this is probably as good of a place to do it as, like, talk about Jason Priestley more because I really want to. Like, we get to talk about Brandon later, but – this last week when Shannon Doherty released her new episodes of her podcast and Jason Priestley was on them, of course, we're going to listen. We're going to see what we get out of it. And the whole thing with her podcast is, um, what's it called? It's called Let Me Be Clear. Mm. Like she tells him in the episode, she's like, yeah, this is my podcast where I give my side of the story, but then I also, you know, want to hear how other people interpret things. Right. But they did, they did reveal a few little tidbits that I think were interesting because, you know, we've always heard about how everybody turned against Shannon because she was misbehaving and not showing up on time, not being prepared, doing things like getting a haircut without permission because being an actor is a really weird job. But in this episode, she ends up telling Jason that she was in like this really rough marriage at the time and this guy was, I think he was like a drug addict and he was abusive. So, mm. like, she mentions that there are times that her makeup artist actually had to cover bruises on 90210, but, like, that she was probably the only one that knew the abuse that Shannon was going through at the time mm. because she didn't tell anybody. And she says, yeah. like, that's kind of my fault. That's on me because I should have told someone because I can't expect any sort of leeway if I'm not letting people know what's going on. Right. But according to her, part of the reason that she would show up late to work in addition to, you know, the fighting and everything, is that she didn't want to leave her husband alone so that he could go find drugs. So she would have to sit at the house and wait for somebody to come babysit him for the day while she was at work. Whoa. Yeah. Holy cow. And, like, literally, that is Jason's response the entire time. He's like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah. And, you know, while they're talking, they're also bringing up how Aaron Spelling really – I guess it would have been the producers, maybe not Aaron Spelling, but the show had decided that Jason was like the quarterback. He was number one on the call sheet. He was going to be the one that was the bridge between behind the camera and in front of the camera. He was going to be the one that wrangled everybody. Mm -hmm. And he says at one point, he's like, I wish I had known because we could have handled that differently and you wouldn't have just been fired. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Right. Like, other than that, there wasn't a lot about the original show. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, they bring up him directing on the show. So he was like, oh, yeah, you know, my first episode was this one on Magic Mountain. And the guys were in the commercial for the uh, toothpaste or whatever. <laughs> Which, you know, of course, like I'm going to forget that that's his first. She came in through the window. She came in through the bathroom window. <laughs> yeah. So after that, they started talking about the reboot and, like, kind of what's going on now in their lives. And I – we don't know anything about BH90210. Correct. Yeah, we only know, like, very few things. Assuming we ever get to it, 
there's there's only six episodes. They both say that this is the fastest that something has been canceled that they've been on. <laughs> <laughs> like that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Jason says something about how it was like an interesting experiment, but it was obviously not what anybody wanted. Mm-hmm. I believe it. I mean, it it was campy at best, right? Like that's I don't know a whole lot of it, but I I know a little about it enough to know that it was like really campy and kind of meta. And I think I think maybe it could have been done right, but like I, I mean, it's still a show that was thirty years old that was a cultural phenomenon, but wasn't really needed, you know. And yeah, I the concept was not that it was the characters that were 30 yeah. years older. It was that caricatures of the actors were right. 30 years older. So it was very, I feel like meta maybe yeah. in my mind. Mm-hmm. And she also brings up a story about how in the reboot, Shannon decided she wanted to eat in every scene because that's what Brad Pitt does. Interesting. Which I thought was hilarious because if they had actually had the time and the effort to, like, have a conversation back and forth, like, Jason Priestley knows Brad Pitt. They live together. Like, oh, yeah. That's I right. would just find it so interesting if she said all this stuff of, like, yeah, I wanted to eat in scenes because that's what Brad Pitt does. And apparently it's something that he had worked out with his acting coach. And so, like, she read all this behind-the-scenes stuff and wanted to try it. I think she just wanted to eat, and I don't blame her for that. Wow. I mean, I don't either. Like, but I would have just loved Jason Priestley to be like, huh, I'll have to text Brad about that. Like, I don't know. (laughs) But then at the end of it, they were talking about what Jason's up to now because he's still in front of the camera Mm. and he has a new CW show that sounds amazing. Like, who knows what they'll do with it because it's the CW, but... It is called Wild Cards. I did watch it. And it's one of those like unlikely pairing cop shows. Like it's a procedural, but it's like white collar basically. Okay. So Vanessa Morgan of Riverdale gets to be the lead. She's the lead. She's the con artist. And like, so she, she's a con artist. She gets arrested while she's being processed. She overhears like a briefing about a serial robbery Mm. string going on Mm -hmm. and she gives her own opinions about it. She calls the cop who books her who lost being a cop. He's a boat cop now. And she calls him. He's like, how did you get my number? And she's like, don't worry about it. Tells him where they're going to rob things next. And then based on that, everybody decides the two of them are going to work together and it's going to, give him probation to get back to being a regular cop. It's going to give her rehabilitation from being a con artist. And Jason Priestley plays her hot prison dad. They have to go to prison to visit him and ask him for help. And he calls people. He's like, oh, yeah, I know a guy. That's amazing. It's so good. And he looks so good as hot prison dad. (laughs) I love it. It's perfect. Like, I loved it so much. I think it was a little frenetic, but, like, that kind of stuff happens in a pilot. Like, she's a little too much. All of her cons are just coming in speaking fast and then trying to walk straight past security. (laughs) Of course. 
Like it happens like three times in one Come on, episode. She's got to do the the Sophie cash money trick. <laughs> I would die. She does make a reference when they first get paired together and they walk out of the police station. Oh, she's like, oh my God, we're like bones in that hot guy from Buffy. <laughs> nice. So like, yeah, it was just everything coming together. She's from Riverdale. She's mentioning Buffy. He's mm. on the show. I loved it. I, the CW I, will I probably have... cancel it in one season because probably they're the yeah. CW. Yeah. I might also, have to check it out. Honestly, I recommend it. It's, it's only been a couple episodes. I watched the first one and then like the third one isn't even going to be available until later this week. Okay. But it was pretty cute. I liked it so far. Well, good for Jason. I'm glad he's still doing stuff. <laughs> I know. You, I had a little worry when he leaves season nine, episode five of 90210, but he's ended up on the CW, so I think he came out on top. Yeah, no joke. Um, and yeah, it is, like I will admit, this this is our first episode without, really without Brandon, because, you know, for the last couple of episodes, he was like interviewing for that job, so we didn't see him as much. It feels weird. Like, I'm like, I, I feel like we're missing somebody. And I I think it's because, like, it's setting in that he's really not going to be there. But I also think it's because, like, he was so much of the glue between so many characters that mm-hmm. now, like, for example, Steve in this entire episode is just kind of off with Janet, which, you know, we'll get to all that. But he doesn't interact with a single other character in this episode. I do think if... Brandon was still around none of this would happen I could see the entire group just go a little stir crazy without him being there to like rein them in yeah because for sure the first thing you find out post credits is that Val has like I don't know found someone who wants a house sitter but it's a really great house that has a waterfall and a pool table and like all these cool design aesthetics and she's gonna throw a party Mm mm-hmm and she wants David's help. And or she, she wants, wants to, to show like, him? I'm not sure. Yeah, she wanted to show... Well, because I think she wanted to get that one band and probably needed his help with, like, setup or something. So okay. that's probably why she should... And because, like, he's not going to tell her no, you know? Yeah. But that's the thing. Nobody is around to tell her no. Meanwhile... We've already done house party in someone else's mm-hmm. house that ends badly. And I feel like Brandon would be the one to show up. And he wasn't at the house party that caught fire either. I'm right. telling you, like, this is just going to be a dumpster fire until the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going to, it's going to be like Buffy standing at the pit that used to be Sunnydale, except yep. it's 90210 and they're standing at the pit that used to be Casa Walsh. And they're like, if only Brandon had been here to tell, to stop. I mean, literally, like, I know it's not the next scene, but at the Beverly Beat, pretty sure, like, Janet pulls a what would Brandon think, so. <laughs> they do it a couple of times, like, they're, because in that, up in that first Beverly Beat scene, and I am going to skip over Leah and Kelly because I kind of want to, like, put some of that together. I just, mm-hmm. it is a very dark side of a story that doesn't blend as much with the rest of everything. Yeah, for sure. But, like, yeah, Janet is reading off the articles that Brandon has left for them and basically says, we've got an issue of articles and then we're on our own. We find out that Brandon writes 
basically 10 articles a week and helps with the layout and the formatting and the photos and the printing and all of this stuff. So the idea that they can run a paper without him, Steve thinks is possible. And then Janet's like, yeah, I believe in you. I mean, sort of. Sure. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because I'm like, of course, all you have is what Brandon wrote. You didn't have any other writers. You would have like part-time columnists, AKA David and Sophie for a while. Like, it's not like you had just, y'all had three people on staff. (laughs) That's it. And at some point they do bring up hiring freelancers and Janet's like, they're good for maybe two to three articles, Mm -hmm. but they establish they need 12, which means that Brandon is writing a dozen articles a week. It's unreal. The man is like, he's like if R.L. Stein actually wrote all those books. Right? It's just wild. I don't know. Maybe he did, but. It's just wild that there'd be that much content out there too. Just. They had no plan with Brandon leaving. And I find it so hard to believe that there was no plan. Like, that not even Brandon sat them down and was like, you need to think about who's going to write for you when I'm gone. I do 80% of the work here. Mm -hmm. So then we get Sophie at her modeling gig. And I can't really tell what's going on. Like, it's – I don't remember what she said she's modeling. It's like toothpaste or something. Like it very was a lipstick ad. Lipstick. Yeah. But yeah, this guy is telling her like, oh, start unbuttoning your shirt. Go ahead and open it the whole way. Let's see everything. And basically pulls exactly what you would expect in the 90s where she refuses to do it. And he says if she doesn't do it, he'll make her pay for everything because she's mm-hmm. ruined the shot. And he'll tell everyone that she's difficult. Right. Which is just, again, it wasn't the same thing with Shannon. And like you said, you you brought up a different thing, but I'm like, without the whole taking off your clothes thing, isn't that not what they did to Shannon? And I know it probably wasn't this group of people, right? Because so many people Mm -hmm. have changed over the years, but I'm like, huh, let's see. There's a pot here and a kettle. And I think one's calling the other one black. (laughs) Oh, there was a – I wasn't going to bring it up, and I might still cut this out because it's all hearsay, but you know what? Shannon said it first. Apparently in the reboot, she makes a comment to Jason on the podcast who was like, you know what? I got fired for being late all the time, and then we get to this reboot, and I'm on time all the time. I'm early, and there are other people in our cast that are making people wait, and apparently Mm -hmm. someone – had a dog on the set with them. I think the dog was in the shot and made everyone stop so they could go bathe their dog because they had not already bathed the dog. What? Yeah. Huh. So, yeah, she brought up specifically these dog-related moments on the reboot. It is just so interesting to me that, like, we do have these moments where you can see reality blending straight into this TV show because like we both said, like somebody being labeled Mm -hmm. difficult and Mm -hmm. getting their entire career ruined because of their attitude, which in reality means because they wouldn't behave like men expected them to. Right. Right. Absolutely ridiculous. The other thing that happens today, because, you know, this goes over multiple days and then eventually we're going to get to tonight at the pee pad and Noah's first Mm -hmm. encounter but 
we do have all of this stuff with Leah and Lenny that keeps building up. And they're never together, not really, except for threatening moments. But Kelly is always there. I don't understand why Kelly is so invested in this all of a sudden. Well, I mean, it's, we know, like, obviously they have shared experience, right? Like, it's like that, the, the foundation, the clinic, um, obviously she never she doesn't want to see her not friend because i wouldn't call them friends but like a person that she formerly helped get abused or get hurt and of course like with the whole like way that the case turned out leah is she has no one and she's afraid for her and her daughter's life Mm -hmm. so i think it makes sense for kelly because we always see her metal right (laughs) we see her get into other people's business and then you better believe if there's a baby involved she is all up in it and then number three i mean this is up her alley right like she this this is almost a continuation of the foundation and of the clinic and things like that and since she's recently left like this is a way she can help without being involved in the clinic so I actually like wrote in my notes, bold of me to assume that Kelly quitting the clinic would be the end of clinic Kelly. Right. Right. And I think I think that's the same thing I did is I was just like, but she works at a dress store now. <laughs> yeah. Which she hasn't been to this entire episode. Which would probably have stopped people from just stealing from it. <laughs> yeah. Cause she's yeah, in this scene. She's with Leah helping her pack up, get everything ready for baby Amanda, for Lenny. And Leah's mm-hmm. like, I've never been away from the baby. I'm really struggling, which is a valid feeling to feel. But it's something that gets completely overshadowed because at this point, Lenny shows up, pushes right past Kelly. Like, yep. I barely think he even registered her existence. And then immediately mentions he's taking the baby to the racetrack. Which – He's like, they have a playground. And I'm like, she can't even walk. Yeah, what are you going to do? Put her down and then walk away? Right? Like, what's your plan here? And I think Lee even knows that. She gets really upset, but there's nothing she can do because she can't tell him not to take the baby. That violates their agreement. She can't go with him. That violates their agreement. And she storms off. The baby starts crying. And then Kelly inserts herself even further by taking this toxic moment, looking Lenny in the eyes and saying, can you handle this? And so he kicks the chair and shows that he, yes, is still abusive. Yeah, which, like, I had this thought, I think at this point, if not definitely later, I wrote it in my notes at some point to bring up. Mm -hmm. I feel like this could have gone so many different ways. They have a webcam. Right. Like, why would we not just get evidence of yeah. Lenny being abusive, showing he is not reformed, that would immediately take away any sort of legal right that he has to his kid if you can prove that he is not safe around the baby? Right. And I mean, like, obviously, that's something that in 1999 is very difficult to do because, like, we're just talking about, like, they have a webcam, but it's not live video feed, right? It's, like, snapshots that basically re-upload itself. Mm-hmm. And But it's still, like, you would think – would go really, really far in proving that at minimum he, or I guess at maximum, he should have um, supervised visitation. Yeah, that's the thing. Even if it doesn't have 
sound and it's just the snapshots. You can see like he says something to Leah. She has to storm away. Nothing. Nobody comes near him. Kelly's yeah. probably facing away from the camera. And then the next thing you yeah. see, he's kicking a chair across the kitchen. Like Exactly. I'm just saying we have opportunity here that does not involve kidnapping a baby. Right. Yeah, right. Like there's there's other yeah, – yeah, to your point, there's other things. And I, I think it's hard now at this point. It's like this kind of stuff should probably have been talked about beforehand. And But now that the court case is decided, it's like what, you know, like what do I do? This is my only option. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's kind of what does happen for a little while because the next time we see Matt, like, he's acknowledged. He's like, I won for Lenny. That's done. And he tells Donna about it. And Donna has kind of a more relaxed view of things than Kelly does where she's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, but, like, he's still a bad guy, right? Yeah. That and, and it's like Matt's – justification for doing what he did isn't is flimsy at best right like yeah and I think Donna sees through that but she's like I can't do anything about this so let's move on I read this book you recommended I really enjoyed it do you want to get dinner sometime and rightfully so Matt's like what about Noah and Donna's like um I don't really know if we're still seeing each other which is and I'm like not the answer no, I'm like, Donna, you have full control tro- control over if you are or if you aren't. Yeah, but instead, she and Noah seem to be in some sort of stalemate yeah. because she invites Matt to the pee pad later. Mm-hmm. And he even makes a comment about it, I'm pretty sure, because he's like, I shouldn't think this is weird that we're going to the place that Noah owns. And Donna's like, yeah, yeah but I can get in. Right. And, and yeah, I mean <laughs> – First of all, bold of Donna to choose the place that her either current boyfriend or ex-boyfriend or whatever works at. Like, there are so many other spots to go to in Beverly Hills, and this is the one you choose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she's convinced. She's like, I, I like the band. I know I can get in. Meanwhile, right before they show up, the bouncer has told the entire line that they're at capacity and nobody can come in until anybody comes out. And Noah doubles down on that by showing up at the door, looking at the bouncer and being like, you seen Donna and that guy? They can't come in. Right. And not to mention, this bouncer also tells Noah about some racing opportunity. And of course, like the second that's brought up, I'm like, well, we know what Noah's doing this episode. Which is another repeat of a story because Brandon Mm -hmm. did racing, what, back in high school? Mm Mm-hmm. Didn't Dylan do something too? I think they both did it, right? Like together? Yeah. I don't remember who did it first, but I do think they both did it together. Yeah. Because that was the same episode where Andrea Andrea got in the fender bender, right? It was a hit and run and they had yeah. to figure out who did it. No, it wasn't a fender bender. Someone hit her. Mm-hmm. Like bodily. I'm remembering That's right. this now. That's right. Yeah. So, of course, he mentions this racing and it's definitely going to come up later oh for sure and yeah so it's like this just furthers the like I don't know if we're still together do they even want to be together and all that stuff meanwhile uh I know we kind of talked a little bit about like Janet and Steve talking about like what would Brandon think like all this kind of stuff but they're desperate at this point and of course like they go to the peach pit and get some food 
and Steve picks up a tabloid, like basically a version of the National Enquirer. And mm-hmm. of course, Steve would want to do something like this because it's quote unquote easy. They can just rip off and make up stuff. And of course, when Janet says, it's not like we could just make something up that like perks Steve up and he's like, yes, we can. I'm very good at that. <laughs> He's like, I don't know if you know anything about me, but mm-hmm. that's all I can do. Yeah, exactly. I don't have any actual, like, real journalistic skills. I just make up stuff. And, yeah, in my notes, I didn't write much about this scene, but I did say if they turn the Beverly Beat into a really crappy National Enquirer type place like this, when Janet joined wanting to do legitimate journalism, I'll be upset. I feel like Janet deserves better than being stuck with Steve in that office by themselves. I agree. So then we find out that Kelly and Leo plan to kidnap the baby. And okay, I totally thought the direction, I did not expect that direction. But what I thought was going to happen is that it's it's clearly nighttime, like it's later. And Mm -hmm. I remember Leah specifically telling Lenny to make sure that Allison was back by six. So... Before we see a shot of the baby, I was like, Lenny's going to be late bringing the baby back. And that'll be a way for them to finally, like, get Lenny not having visitation. But no. Turns out there's, like, a social worker there who Kelly knew through the clinic and or the foundation. And they're talking about child kidnapping. And again, at first, I thought they were talking about Lenny potentially kidnapping this baby. No. They're talking about literally trying to make... Leah and Allison disappear. Yeah, I wrote down that this woman who shows up, at first I thought she was a lawyer because she's asking if they've actually registered any abuse, like she Mm -hmm. has actually filed Mm -hmm. complaints about Lenny. But then it sounds more like she's a black market underground baby railroad. Yeah. uh, Engineer? I don't know what you call them. (laughs) Um, But I then decided – Because I have decided if we're going to go off the rails, Mm -hmm. because this is another point where Brandon would step in and say, you cannot have a woman completely change her identity and run with the baby. We have other options. He would write an article about it. I promise you. Exactly. But if we're going to do all of these things, I would love if Kelly became a black market underground baby railroad coyote (laughs) and she is just like helping people escape with new identities with their babies that yeah I don't even know what to think about because she would be so bad at it like she could (laughs) be good at it but I think in actual like execution she'd be so bad about it she absolutely would I mean she Mm -hmm. would get too emotionally involved and every time Mm -hmm. she'd have to give a baby away she wouldn't be able to do it yep exactly She's like, I want that baby. Just constantly. Constantly. She, oh my God, Kelly could start her own cult and it's just women and their children. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't have my own children, so I'll just have all of you. Can you imagine? Yes, I can. Vividly. (laughs) So been in a cult. Yeah, true. She'd go from being in one to leading one and, oh my God. I'm also like. Progression. Yeah, I'm also like 89% sure that would be way more interesting than anything that they're going to give her for the rest of the show's run. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, the fact that all of these things can happen in this episode and 
wrap up at the end of this episode just fine mm-hmm. tells me that like they're going to run out of ideas soon. Yeah. Because so in this next scene, it's the next day Val is shopping at Donna's boutique looking mm-hmm. for a dress for her party. Um, I guess this is just going to be what we do from now on is Donna dresses everyone in the cast exclusively. It's all yep. they wear because nobody can have a self-sustaining job. It is all interconnected. Donna mm-hmm. goes and buys the newspaper and then Janet uses the money from her buying the newspaper to buy a dress and then they both yep. go over to the pee pad. Exactly. It's easy. It's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> but she's doing this. And Donna is helping her shop, which is the funniest thing in the world, mm-hmm. because she pulls out a dress and Val goes, oh, yeah, that's not dreadful, and then <laughs> snatches it out of her hands and goes straight into the dressing room to steal it. <laughs> which, like, why? Like, for what reason? Like, why do you need to do this? And it's so obvious. Val is not thinking steps ahead. She's just doing no. what she wants. And... It's very clear that she's throwing, like, an end-of-the-world party, right? Like, yeah, this whole episode, she's talking about confessions. It's called mm-hmm. confession. Mm-hmm. Like, at this point, this is her, I don't see a tomorrow, so I don't have to worry about the consequences of stealing this dress. Right, but, like, exactly. She just does. Like, there's, she doesn't try it on. She doesn't do anything. She just does. And she sits in there long enough to make Donna think that she's actually trying on because then Noah comes in asking for Matt and he has like his first AA meeting tomorrow. He asks just straight up if if Donna and Matt are dating and she's just like, what? And Val, just peanut gallery, is like, you heard the man. (laughs) And so like she finally comes out and and Donna's like, no, you get out. Like you don't need to be here. And which obviously, like, basically lets Val steal the dress out from even a single shred of suspicion from from Donna. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so then, it's again, no resolution between Noah and Donna. And so I guess they're still technically together, even if they haven't said so. I know. It's so weird. Like, because he asks her where Matt is, and she's like, I don't know. Yeah. But then when he asks if they're dating... She doesn't say, like, no, I'm dating you, obviously. Right. Like, right. There's nothing. And then he goes outside and he and Val talk about throwing illegal raves and racing. Yeah. And of course, she wants to partner up because she, like you said, it's like she's thinking that this is like end of the world and she has really nothing else to do because she's going to turn herself in anyway. So, mm-hmm. well, so she says. Yeah. And. Then, you know, we start catching up with everybody else. Sophie has already been paid for the print ad that she did. And she spends some amount of it on a bunch of CDs for David. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a weird scene because it seems like it should be straightforward. She buys him the gift. She's like, this is my you were right, I was wrong gift. I shouldn't have taken that job. He helps her with the peach pit and says he'll cover her expenses But I don't understand it because if she's spending all of her money on the CDs, I feel like David would be like, I can't take this. You need money. And then he offers to cover all of her expenses and basically take care of her, get her a job, do all of these things because she needs him. Mm -hmm. But frequently when his girlfriends need him, he bails on them or cheats (laughs) on them. Again, she's so ensorceling and just 
she has that allure to her that David is just completely like he turns to goo whenever she does anything. I just don't get this idea that he's willing to cover all of her expenses knowing what he knows about her, that she's a con artist, and it's only been a month. Right, right. So then we go over to Janet and Steve, where Janet stands up for herself and says she doesn't want to work at a tabloid and says verbatim, what would Brandon think? Mm -hmm. Because Janet is us. Exactly, and she wants no part of this. She's like, this is terrible. Like, this is not journalists. We would just be, like, writing bullshit, basically, not writing actual stories with journalistic integrity. And then, of course, Steve is, like, as she's walking out, she's, like, ready to quit. And he's, like, but think about the benefits. And I'm, like, what? She already has these benefits. And then he gets her with the, and a huge pay raise. And I don't blame her. I mean, yeah, I definitely don't blame her. I do feel like... It would have to be a pretty big pay raise oh, for, for me sure. to be willing to stay for this. Because, you know, she says she doesn't want to work there. She says, what does Brandon think? And Steve's response is, Brandon doesn't work here anymore. Mm-hmm. And be like, yeah, that's a good point. You're in charge of this paper. I have to leave. Yep. No, I actually wrote, I was like, I hate this for her. I wish she could go do anything else. Mm-hmm. They've got seven other companies in this friend group. Find her a way away from Steve. Open a rival newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but now I've just gotten myself distracted. Could you imagine a boys versus girls newspaper episode? I want it. Yeah, like we know who would win. That's why they don't do it. They're like, ugh, this is too easy. (laughs) (laughs) Just give Janet one week of the paper and give Steve another week of the paper Mm -hmm. and just see who comes out on top. Mm Mm-hmm. But – that's neither here nor there none of that happens what does happen is that we finally see matt he's come to the beach apartment to see donna and she's being so sketch dude that was the most awkward scene i've ever seen in my life like i'm not usually a secondhand cringe kind of person like i can usually sit through these things but i know some people like nate specifically he like if something starts feeling a little awkward he has to physically get up and go do something else like he's like i can't watch this (laughs) I don't get that, but with this, I was like, okay, let's let's move on. Like, this scene needs to be over. This is so awkward. It's so awkward because she's, like, trying to sneak out of the house without anyone seeing anything. All of the blinds are closed. Mm-hmm. She's, like, barely opening the door a crack. Mm-hmm. And to the viewer, because we know what's going on, we know that they're working on the baby-stealing plan. Right. And she comes back in. She tells Kelly that it hurts to lie to Matt. But Kelly's like, I don't care. Yeah. The baby needs us. <laughs> She's literally like, it doesn't matter. We're doing this. Like, get on board. I do feel like Kelly would be the kind of friend that would say, like, get on board or get out. And then if somebody tried to get out, she'd be like, no, I didn't actually mean it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we go to the peach pit. And this was also a weird scene for me. Like, this bumped me a lot of different ways. Like, so Sophie's waitressing. She brings food to the wrong table. The guy that's at the table tells her that the couple left because they were waiting so long. And I'm like, first of all, is that Sophie's fault or Nat's fault? Like, I'm not sure. You know, like, did the food mm-hmm. come out late? Like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, and then she just tells this guy that he doesn't have to pay for the mega burger and the coffee that she gave him, but has to give her a big tip. 
And this guy was immediately familiar to me, and I couldn't remember why, but I looked at his credits. He's done a ton of, like, Spanish language stuff in his career, but he was in, like, seven or eight episodes of Seventh Heaven, and for some yeah. reason, that's what stuck out to me. I was like, it has I to be it. There. Yeah. I did the same thing, and I was seeing, like, one episode here and there, and I was like, no, none of this is resonating with me, but it mm-hmm. has to be Seventh Heaven, because I watched religious, like, that was my Wednesday night TV or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And anyway, so he's like, he's not necessarily creepy. Like, this guy doesn't seem creepy. He just no. seems like ensorcelled by Sophie upon seeing her, which is just hilarious. And while she's doing this, Nat goes over and tells David that Sophie's the worst waitress that he's ever seen. David apparently got Sophie an audition with an independent film director that he did a jingle for, because sure. And then that guy eats in five milliseconds, gets up to leave. Nat apologizes to this guy on behalf of Sophie, but he left her a $100 tip that she suddenly has a moral compass and can't take, but instead gets his business card with his number. What was this yeah. scene? I don't – it's <laughs> it's the Nat scene. Nat had to be in this yeah. episode and they've had tons of times where people needed help, so they got a job at the Peach Pit. I don't know why this is how this keeps happening. And I got to right. say, no matter what size the Peach Pit is, you're not going to put someone who has never served before in their life right. on a serving shift by themselves. Or you end up with having to apologize to every single person because you see him apologizing to literally Everybody. every single person that Sophie's yeah. serving. Or it's like and, you give her hours that's not during the busiest time. Yeah, she works lunch shifts until – or like, you know, 10 a.m. to 11.30 on her own and then like mm-hmm. partners with somebody or like just works the counter with coffee refills. Right. Whatever. But yeah, the idea that this guy leaves her $100 and she's like, I can't take this. So he gives her, her ca- his card and then the way that the rest of this flows, like this doesn't make sense to me. No, not at all. Like, I guess I kind of just want to wrap up Sophie, even though I know that takes up a lot of the episode, but... That's fine. I just don't care about her, you know? Yeah. Well, like... And, okay, yeah, so quickly wrapping her up, she ends up meeting with this guy. His name is Tom. We don't even learn that until, like, the final scene that he's in. Um, But, she, like, he asks if she has a boyfriend. She says that she's not interested in his money, even though he does say, like... He's an heir to a to a fortune or whatever. He's Noah, but different. Mm-hmm. And anyway, and so he then just like asked her to go to Paris with him because he saw her billboard. He's like, "Oh, where's Sophie? Paris would sound really cool." I'm like, "You you met her for thirty seconds." Yeah, I mean, this is like, you know, I think David kind of mentions it later. Like, she. So she gets the offer from the guy and clearly is going to take it because the next time we see her talking to David, she tells him that she got the part in the indie movie that he put her up for, but it shoots in Paris and she has to leave immediately. So she's lying to him about something very easily verifiable so that she can have David in Beverly Hills and also this guy. Like she's so afraid of hurting David's feelings, even though she's a con artist. I don't know what I'm supposed to think about her. Well, exactly. And, like, that was the thing, too. I I was, like, when he says that they can do long distance and it'd be fine, 
she looked like she didn't want to do that, but she wasn't mature or brave enough to say, no, I think we should break up, right? And yeah. so we don't see her for a little while until then um, we're back for at an Donna's. insane reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see like uh, Sophie and Tom buying basically all the clothes in Donna's shop, and David just happens to walk in. And see because them a conversation. It's his friend's store where his sister works and also his ex-girlfriend slash friend. Like, yeah. why would she go here of all places? Right, right. And <laughs> she says something. I don't remember the exact words, but it was like, I've tried everything and I'm all out of ideas. She was looking for fame and fortune and couldn't find fame. So she's going to take fortune and I wrote this in my notes. I'm pretty sure this really happened that David calls her a prostitute. Oh, yeah. First of all, David said, you've been here four weeks. Like, again, like bringing up yes. how little time that she's focused on fame. And so now she's taking this chance on fortune. Basically, then David says what she's doing is prostitution. And Sophie's just like, I'm sorry you feel that way. But then still kisses him. And it's like the weirdest kiss because it's insanely sensual. And just shows again that David just all he needs is just a little love, love hit from her. And he's like, stay. He's so desperate for her. Like, what? What is it? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I I think she's going to give the great girlfriend experience. If she is essentially turning into like sex work or like a sugar baby for this guy, like mm -hmm. she's going to give a great girlfriend experience considering how ensorcelled Steve and David have been. Right. Like, it just, and then Donna just over, the, like, why do they even pan over to Donna or cut to Donna just watching them? Like, it was so awkward. And this episode was weird. It was so weird. And this is it. This is how Hopefully. Sophie leaves the show. Yeah, I sure hope so. I mean, spoiler alert, I know for sure. I know exactly how many episodes she's in, and this is it. Thank God. And that's no offense to Laura Layton at all. Like, I. No. I don't think she did a bad job. She did a great job of making us hate her character. <laughs> that's the thing. They gave her, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, banana peppers and said, make ice cream with this. Exactly. Like, exactly. She did the best she could with what she was given, and I applaud her for that. Yeah. That being said, I can't wait for next week when Sophie mm -hmm. is not even – like, they're going to be like, Sophie who? I've never met a Sophie before in my yeah, life. Yeah, Exactly. Those billboards are going to be up for 20 years, and they're going to be like, I don't know what that billboard is. I've <laughs> never seen that. Oh. Well, good thing we have uh, to go back to the racing scene. <laughs> okay. So John was getting ready for everything he was doing today, and as soon as they got to this racing scene, he was just like, why is Vel in the car with him? That's like 100 extra pounds. You want to be as light as possible while you're racing. And he was just – offended by this idea that she was in the car with Noah. It's like, never mind, they're basically just taking a Mustang out to race. Like, also, it has to be the most aerodynamic. Like, and they're not even racing the plane chicken. Like, <laughs> I know. They said racing so many times, and then it was chicken. Those mm -hmm. are two very different things. And, like, in the car, Val just decides, like, I'm going to tell Noah that I legitimately killed my father, and, I and I'm going to turn myself in. And Noah is just like, he almost looks catatonic again, and he just doesn't turn the wheel until Val is like, what the fuck? Or she didn't say that, but she's like, what are you doing? And 
turns the wheel so that they don't die. My favorite part was that he finally turns the wheel and she's like, what is your problem? And then kicks him out and drives off because it's her car. Oh, yeah. She's like, get the hell out of my car. And he and she's like, why didn't you turn? He's like, it wouldn't turn. (laughs) What? Absolutely ridiculous. But we just don't address this anymore. Like Val leaves and Noah's just there and we don't see any like fallout. Noah is barely in this episode. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because we also, I guess, kind of speaking of Noah, we see Donna, who goes to see Matt. She feels really bad about this super sketchy behavior she had yesterday. And she's like, but I do want to tell you it had nothing to do with Noah. I promise. Well, it's also funny that Matt was just doing sit-ups when he was leading a deposition. (laughs) She can't find him, but she can hear grunting. And she's just like, oh, this is normal. (laughs) Also... Matt makes a comment that he doesn't like to argue outside of work. It bores mm-hmm. him. And he needs to run then. Yes. Like, this is not the group of friends to be anywhere near if you don't like exactly. to argue. Kelly Taylor, you just want to forget that name. Yeah, because you are going to argue with her. I guarantee it. <laughs> Constantly. I mean, she should be argued with. Someone should be yeah. stopping her from what she's doing in this episode. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But Donna invites Matt to Val's secret off-site rave thing tonight. Even though she maybe potentially has a boyfriend named Noah that we're just not yeah. dealing And, like, honestly, I think Matt did so well in the first time that Donna was, like, they were talking and she asked him out. And he was just like, are you still with Noah? And then, you know, she's like, no, I could use a friend, though. You know, so it made it clear, like, okay, they would just be doing things as friends. But then this time mm-hmm. he just doesn't double check and that's why he gets hurt it's actually not donna's fault i kind of blame matt for that i don't know i feel like it could have been donna's fault too because she yeah she owes everyone in her life to be very clear about her intentions with them like it's on matt as well i completely agree he should have confirmed i think it's on both of them for sure yeah i just think like matt could have helped himself by just avoiding the situation or at least telling donna himself that they're going and as friends until she resolves things with noah one way or the other yeah i completely agree but i mean donna is just surrounded by people making bad decisions Mm -hmm. i just i keep coming back to like matt should distance himself from everyone until they have figured their nonsense out because 100 percent Somehow Kelly thought it would be easy to go find a fake ID. So she and Leah just like walked outside and were like, oh, it'd be great if we could just go to the DMV and say, I want a driver's license that says Jane Smith and not Leah. It was just so funny that she was like, you know, turns out there's not just people waiting on street corners everywhere that's just ready to give you a fake ID. I was like, mm-hmm. that that's mm-hmm. how life works. <laughs> yeah. Because they find out, like, at every turn, you cannot do anything without an ID. And so they're Mm -hmm. desperate to get her one. They spent all day searching. But it turns out, which I think Mary also mentioned in her synopsis, that Lenny can add stalking to his list of abuses. Because he just has followed her all day long. And, like, the idea that Kelly can call the police at this point, say that an intruder is in their apartment, 
And there's definitely going to be ways to prove that it was Lenny, the way he completely ignores Kelly calling the police to manhandle Leah and threaten her, Mm -hmm. all of this. Like, I find it so hard to believe that there is not some sort of legal recourse here. Call Matt. Tell him what happened. He's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing is, like, I do think this is a turning point. It's just we don't see it, right? Like, we don't see – Matt kind of having the realization like we just hear about it or or Matt has to come to his senses elsewhere and I think mm-hmm. it could have paid off if they had decided to call the police and then Matt you know although I will say when we get to the party and Matt finds out what's happening it's pretty great that he's just managed to put it together oh for sure for sure yeah because Everybody goes to this party except Steve and Janet. They we'll have get de- to. Yeah, they've decided to go ghost hunting in terms of becoming, you know, the national inquirer or whatever. They mm-hmm. they want to find a haunted kitchen. I don't know. Yep. I guess. But I yeah. didn't pay attention. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it was a very small thing and a really weird way to just keep Janet and Steve separate from Everybody else. Yeah. Totally. But, like, truly, they do that. Everybody else goes to this party. Like, this is where Sophie and David talk about her going to Paris. Mm -hmm. This is where Donna fills Matt in on what's been happening with Lenny, and at Mm -hmm. which point he realizes they're going to kidnap the baby and tells Mm -hmm. her that it's illegal. (laughs) At which point Val walks up in her stolen dress and is like, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) I'm telling you, until the day that Tiffany Thiessen is no longer on the show, they will have written Val so perfectly. I just love that Donna looks at her and is – she can tell. Like, I mean, it's a custom she, dress. Yeah, she's just, like, pathetic or something like that to her. Like, she just calls her out on it without even calling – and she's just like, what the fuck would I even do? Like, I, I just have to tell you you're pathetic and then walk away. Yeah, there's there's nothing she can do, and Val mm-hmm. does not care because Val has resigned herself Right. To what's going on. And it, you know, gives a little setup because some neighbors are at the door. They're complaining to the bouncer about the noise. They're threatening to call the cops. And Val's like, well, I guess that works out because once the cops show up, I can turn myself in for murder. Yeah. So it's like clearly she's setting up herself, right? She's trying to rack up all of these like other charges, I guess. You know, like noise complaint, even like the racing, she probably would have been fine getting caught for you know, like the shoplifting, like she's literally doing things that are purposely illegal or at least to get cops involved. And so kind of continuing with the party, you know, Noah's drunk. He's talking about losing his shadow, whatever, tells Donna not to leave him seriously. Matt sees the whole thing is upset. She apologizes and said that she had to take Noah home. But again, back to Val, like, like I said, she's just racking up the charges Police says to shut the band down because that's apparently the thing that's causing all the noise. And she, like, legitimately is two seconds away from telling the cops her confession of her dad and just doesn't. Yeah. What is she? She's like, wait a minute. And then there's this very long pause. Mm-hmm. And then she says she's sorry. Yeah. Which John made another comment here. He was like, I feel like if you're a cop and someone says, wait a minute, and then has that look of like, do I tell you what happened or do I not tell you what happened? You should recognize that and maybe push on it. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which I thought that was funny that he said that because all I wrote was super hot, tall cop shows up. <laughs> he was so tall. Oh, my God. He was so tall. He was like like over Brian Austin Green. Yeah. Well, and Matt, too, because I was like – or, yeah, whoever was like right behind him sort of, I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's not just a perspective. That's like legit. Yeah. And, yeah, at that point, like, David goes to turn off the music. They're going to break the party up. Um, the only other thing that happens is Noah is hammered mm-hmm. one day before his detox. Yep. Which was his plan all along, basically. Yeah. But Donna decides to take him home. And I guess continuing on with that, because, like, it's the very next scene. But mm-hmm. it, we're at the Walsh house. Noah is very, very hungover. Donna apparently stayed there all night just to keep him company because, remember, he now lives at the Walsh house. She accidentally burns herself on the coffee machine, and Noah tries to help, and then just drinks straight out of the communal orange juice. Oh, I was so upset about that. I wrote that down, too. Mm-hmm. And then Donna's just like, she's not having it. Like, she has no patience for him. This morning, she's like, look, you need to take AA seriously. Like, you need to do all the right things here because you – I mean, she doesn't say this part, but she's basically like you're alienating everybody else around you and you are harming yourself. So I really hope you take this seriously. Yeah. I assume he's not because he's so drunk or mm-hmm. I guess he is hungover now, maybe still mm-hmm. a little drunk. Who knows? But he's being so focused on himself internally and how badly he's feeling. He's not reading between these lines of like – if you don't change, I'm going to leave you. Yeah, And so exactly. is everybody else. Yep, exactly. Because, You're not going to have anybody. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that we just kind of inserted him into Casa Walsh and didn't show him moving in and mm-hmm. any sort of adapt- adaptation because I feel like that's probably going to be the thing that saves him the most if he continues right. down this rabbit hole of drinking. Is there like, he's already moved in. I don't know how to kick him out. Exactly. We've kicked out Val four times, and she's still here. (laughs) Yeah, she's somehow still there. Um, And speaking of, like, before we go back to Steve and Janet, um, the only other thing in between is that back at Matt's office, it's the next morning, David, first of all, he looks so tiny in that chair. He's, like, hunched over a little (laughs) bit, and so he barely, like, clears the desk, and I'm just like, he looks so small. Um, But he's there talking to Matt because he wants to kind of, like, basically have an intervention with Val mm-hmm. because he's obviously she said as much she's going to turn herself in he doesn't want her to he thinks it's a ra- the bad idea and Matt's just like I mean it's not illegal to tell somebody not to turn themselves in, turn themselves in but you know she that's it's her choice basically and David was like can I use your phone and we don't see who he calls until the you know next time we see them yeah, which I knew it wasn't going to be anybody I wanted to. I hadn't paid yeah. enough attention in the guest stars to know yeah. who was going to show up. Same. But I was like, in this moment, who you want is Brandon, and it's not going to be Brandon. Like, maybe you want a Cindy, maybe you want a Jim, but like, I feel like in this scenario, you want a Walsh and not who we ended up getting. Yeah, totally. 100%. Yeah, so because this is basically the last part where we see Steve, we can go ahead and talk about what Steve and Janet have been up to Mm -hmm. because it basically boils down to they've done this 
made the decision to go ghost hunting, Steve bribes a security guard to let them into the haunted kitchen. And the security guard's like, that's great, whatever. You guys can go in there. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to make me go in a room with ghosts. Mm-hmm. Pretty immediately, Steve takes them into the walk-in where they get stuck. And that's a nightmare. I don't oh. think I have ever thought of anything scarier than being trapped in a lock-in, like a, mm-hmm. a, an airtight walk-in freezer where mm-hmm. nobody knows you're there. Yes. And Janet obviously like starts yelling at Steve because he won't shut up. And she's like, you're, ho- you're literally hogging all the oxygen. Shut up. And he keeps yelling back at her and she says she hates him. And I got to admit, like, I think these scenes with them, the one before this and this one, would have been fine, but the music took me right out of it because it was so hokey and so, I mean, Janet even makes like a Scooby-Doo reference at one point and <laughs> it felt like that. And I'm like, no, just, you don't need music in this scene. Like it was just such a like hokey little, I don't even know what to call it, but it took me so far out of it that it, it literally altered my mood about the scene i was like i would have been fine with this had the music not it's still dumb but i could have went on the journey maybe i the thing is i'm so biased against surprise shut up kisses sure that as soon as that happened like it doesn't matter that they've been having this argument back and forth that we know there's like Mm quote-unquote sexual tension between the two of them Mm -hmm. but as soon as he did the shut up kiss and then they started making out and then apparently like you know continued onward to banging Mm -hmm. I lost it like I just I hate it so much yeah it makes me so mad that you're like just stop talking no and I get it I mean it is kind of like there's no consent here right like she's literally saying the opposite of what you think she's saying and even if it is wrapped in some sort of sexual tension and kind of desire it's not for him to to suss out right And so then moving onward, like the next morning, they are let out of the fridge by that same dude that Steve paid off to let them get in the fridge in the first place. And the dude's just like, oh, yeah, this happens all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay. That was the funniest part is (laughs) he says that. And then Steve and Janet are literally sidebarring right in front of him being like, we're never going to have this again. It's not Mm -hmm. – nothing happened. Don't tell him. Mm -hmm. And the guy's standing right there going – your shirt's inside out. Yeah. And so it almost confused me, like, to the point that Janet was saying so much of, like, nothing meaningful happened. Nothing happened. Steve's like, we slept in our clothes, Lala. I'm like, did something happen or did they just, like, make out? You know? Like, I was almost, like, I know they hooked up. But I'm like, for a second, did they? <laughs> right? Yeah. It was a little less clear. I completely mm-hmm. agree. And... Later on, we do get confirmation. I'm just going to skip to the end because, yeah. like, who even cares what's happening with Steve? Mm-hmm. Janet is, you know, writing up this story for the Beverly Beat, and Steve is hovering over her being kind of weird. He's, like, asking yeah. her about what happened, and she's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it was the heat of the moment, and we thought we were going to die, and mm-hmm. it's totally normal to feel the need to procreate and – a life or death situation, which I don't think is true at all. But yeah. okay, Janet, whatever you need to tell yourself. It's all rationalization. Yeah. And 
then there's an earthquake, quote unquote. Turns out it's just a guy with a jackhammer, and I guess it's enough to make their entire office vibrate. But, you know, in an earthquake, you're supposed to get under stuff. You're supposed to be in, like, a place that's going to keep you safe. So they both climb under Janet's desk and then start kissing again. Mm-hmm. And, like, and I'm not mad. Like, I really am not mad. Like, if they do end up getting together... I'm not mad about it. I just think Steve needs to get his shit together. Yeah, so at this point, I think I agree with you. I'm not mad. My intuition, I think they're at least setting up that something is going to happen here. Like Steve is going to have to get his shit together because they're going to get together. Because before they dated the first time, before they went on the one date that went so bad – I remember Janet talking about, like, being free love girl and Mm -hmm. being, like, sex is just a thing that you can do with people. Like, it's fine. You can come into it. No strings attached. Blah, blah, blah. But she seems freaked out in this moment. I'm like, oh, no. Did you enjoy having sex with Steve and it's, like, giving you feels? Is that what's happening here? I mean, but honestly, we have established out of all the boys, Steve is the one that would be the best at it. Yes. So maybe it's not true feels and it's just like kind of that passion at this point. It's orgasm feels. She's like, yeah, it's oxytocin. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and that's fine. I think it just kind of freaks her out because she's not used to that. Right. So Mm -hmm. God, if they start having sex and don't have anyone to write articles, this (laughs) Beverly beat is going to fall apart in a week. So fast. Yeah, but she anyways. made the comment that they have one issue. It's not even going to go out because they're going to be too busy. Exactly. But anyway, so on to, like, more serious stuff. So after wrapping up Steve and Janet, Sophie, all that stuff, we have to go to the police department because Val is ready to turn herself in. And this is where just magically, wonderfully, and perfectly timed, Abby walks through the elevators. I cannot believe Val. that that is who David I, called. I know. I know. I I mean, like, but to be fair, like, who else would – I know we talked about, like, we wanted it to be a Walsh, but it literally had to have been Brandon or Abby or no one else because to Matt – like, to that earlier point, Matt was like, well, who would she listen to? And David's like, literally no one. Yeah. Because Val does what she wants. No, it, it had to be Abby, but I hate it because Abby yeah. left by being like, I am not going to turn you in because it's going to look bad on me. Right. And so having her come – and, like, tell Val that she forgives her and mm-hmm. beg her to forgive herself and all of this just falls so flat for me yeah, because for it sure. feels like Abby's just telling her that so that Abby doesn't get embarrassed. A hundred percent. And, like, how can we be expected to believe that it took a day or let's just say best case scenario a week for Abby to fully change her stance on this, right? Because, like, it's one thing for her to say, like – she realizes that she could have stopped it or she could have done something or she could have left him. But it's a mm-hmm. whole other thing for her to decide that it wasn't Val's fault, that it was completely her fault, that it was, you know, none of this was Val's fault at all. Like, giving her forgiveness, like, that, I feel like, based on the trauma of this whole event, should have taken months, if not years, of therapy to get to that place for both of mm-hmm. them, you know? Yeah. Because they were it's so a- polar opposite of their, like, standpoint, you know? Yeah. The fact that 
this turnaround happened so quickly after we had weeks yes. of Val and Abby yes. at odds against each other. It just, it doesn't land timing wise. But I guess at the end of the day, this means that Val gets her closure. You know, she gets what she's been looking for, which is kind of like the the wrap up of this feeling that she's had mm-hmm. and, and this kind of desire to turn herself in. She no longer has to have that feeling that she has to do that. And I guess, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess my follow-up there would be what's next. Mm-hmm. Is she going to give the dress back to Donna and pay for it, apologize right. for her behavior? Like, what is the next step for Val other than keep being Val but with a lot of weight off her shoulders? It almost would have been more interesting had she actually have turned herself in and then have gotten – like not guilty in a trial Mm -hmm. you know because even though that wouldn't absolve her and that wouldn't necessarily give her closure if her mother had been on the stand that would have been a place to have said words like this and that would have hit so much harder that's the thing it just doesn't hit like i know they wanted it to i mean truly in my notes it says this is great at all but abby i know it's like true. Her? Anyway. The, yeah. And <laughs> Kelly and Leah are still trying to figure out how to kidnap a baby. And they can't. They, they keep striking out. <laughs> they have no idea. They're just calling people at random, being mm-hmm. like, excuse me, do I need ID to buy a plane ticket? Yes, right? yes, you do. Like, of course you do. <laughs> and it turns out, you know, Matt comes over, turns out he knows a forger. And he's ready to commit felonies. I mean, I think Donna, I don't remember if it's Donna or Kelly, but one of them points out that he could be disbarred for doing this. Yeah. I think it was Kelly. And because and the idea, she's like, I will never understand you because you're willing to do this and risk getting disbarred. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because I think that's in the last scene where like Matt is like, oh, yeah, you know, People deserving defense in theory does not always mm-hmm. work in practice. Mm-hmm. And Kelly's flirting with him because he's starting to come to her side. Like, this is what I mean when there needs to be a Brandon intervention here. Yep. Because Kelly needs to be the one that realizes that she went too far in her direction. Not 100%. Matt thinking he went too far in his direction of following the law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, they're just like flirting together and it's still very confusing to me who Matt is supposed to be with. Same, because like, I mean, again, I know some of this show. (laughs) (laughs) I know who Matt is with the majority of the time and I'll just be quite honest, it's not Donna and I don't like it. (laughs) Like, I don't like that he's going after donna sort of i'm like uh uh-uh. no <laughs> that that's the thing that confuses me is it feels so obvious they're setting up kelly and matt but the fact that like when donna has to find noah at the party and he's like don't leave me and mm-hmm. she's like okay no i'll stay here and he's like no i mean don't leave me in a relationship sense and then right. matt overhears it and gets upset like yeah exactly they're throwing me off mm-hmm. which speaking of noah you know to wrap up the whole story he finally shows up at his AA meeting 
Which then made me reminisce of when Brandon and Dylan went to AA that one time and then Dylan kept going and like that was an actual thing in his life for Mm -hmm. at least a little while. But Noah shows up, sees – I think the guy's name is Stan – stand up and be like, I've been sober for five months. It's a journey, blah, blah, blah. And like I think that's literally as far as Noah makes it before he pulls out a flask and turns around and takes a drink. Yep. And I'm just – I got to be honest. I'm ready for him to be put in jail. There's no other thing for him to do. He's spiraled. Let's go ahead and knock it out. Let's put him in a coma just like Mm -hmm. Dylan was and he can Mm -hmm. walk through a railroad station and see his father. Like literally you could just redo what happened to Dylan with Noah because now they both have dead dads and issues. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's not interesting to me to see Mm -hmm. this at this moment. I agree. It's just, it's the same thing over and over and over and over. And like we said a million years ago, like Noah is the blend of Brandon and Dylan. And now he's crossed Mm -hmm. over more into the Dylan side. Yeah. And that's where we're ending this week. No actual confessions seem to have been made, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Not a single one. Except for, I guess, Val telling Noah in the racing car that she killed her dad, but... He didn't care. She's told half the group by now. Exactly. And like Noah had zero reaction. So what (laughs) my favorite part, my favorite part was when Val is at the party talking to David and Matt about the cops and Matt's like, Val, do you want to go talk somewhere in private? And she's like, no, David knows. (laughs) Yeah. She's (laughs) just like, don't worry about it. He already knows. But yeah. Hilarious. Half the group knows that she's a murderer. God absolutely ridiculous do you have a quote of the week no i did i honestly didn't write anything down well i wrote one thing down where i talked about it it was just when val was shoplifting the dress and noah walks in and asks like if she's dating matt and she's just like you are the man (laughs) (laughs) that's all yeah i wrote down when val first shows up And Mm -hmm. she's talking to David and Sophie. And Sophie's like, oh, nice to see you, too. And she goes, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one, too. And then when Janet was at the Beverly Beat going, what would Brandon think? Mm -hmm. Because I'm telling you, I want to, like, put that on a friendship bracelet. Right. And just wear it for my own reference. Mm Mm-hmm. Mary, what about you? Um. So I did write down all the ones that you said. Um, I think my favorite quote this week was um, Janet telling Steve she believes in him. And Steve's like, you do? And she goes, of course. I mean, sure. Sort of. (laughs) It was beautiful. Just wonderful. Accurate. I love Janet. I need more of her. I love Janet. Janet is us. Yeah. But yeah, no more quotes. That was it. Do we have any, like, moments that we want to call out aside from Val being amazing? I do want to say uh, while they were in the walk-in and Janet goes to hit Steve's hard hat off and only knocks the actual hat oh piece God. of it and not the okay, part yeah. that stuck to his head. <laughs> that was good, too. That was good. I loved it. He looked so goofy. And imagine yep. that coming at your face to kiss you. I know. that. Okay, that was funny. That was funny. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to, you know, actually it's probably not. I was going to say it'll be interesting to see Steve and Janet sneak around with their banging because I don't think Janet wants anyone to know how low she's sunk. No. God, Mm -mm. no. Like this is very much Schmidt and Cece when they first started dating and she's just like yeah, leaving him in the car with the window cracked. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, they spent an entire episode not interacting with anybody. So I don't think it's going to be that hard. Right. But who knows? I mean, what's next week's episode? All right. So next week we have season nine, episode seven. You say goodbye. I say hello. Is this I mean, our second Beatles title? Have least. we had another one? We had I She Came In Through the Bathroom Window. Yep. But that we've got to have more than that. Um, I, why do I feel like we had like something like I Am the Walrus or something like that? We might have. I don't know. I think there was maybe like a Lizard King reference, but that's not the yeah. Beatles. Well, I guess I'm going to be looking that up. <laughs> yeah. Report back next week. Um, and this makes a lot of sense now because I use the DVDs today. I did not watch in streaming. And when I went to put my subtitles on, I saw somebody on the subtitles page of the DVD. Okay. So, yeah, I, I understand. Part of it? I understand our hello. I do not understand <laughs> our goodbye. I will just tell you, you both will have some sort of a reaction to who it is. <laughs> I can't You say. may or may not like it. That's so all generic. I'll say. Because there will be feelings had. There will be feelings had. Interesting. I think I can't wait. <laughs> but until then, you can follow us on Instagram at back to podcast. You can also send us an email with any of your thoughts on the last episodes that we've gone over or anything else you want to tell us at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with all your friends and family. All that stuff really helps us get seen and build a community and give you all a better product. And if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the show because we really appreciate you. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm going to try and convince Kelly to become a baby coyote. I'm sorry, but if somebody leaves me a $100 tip, I'm keeping it. I guess I'm going to go to Paris. Bye. Bye. See ya.